The, the fever is a defense mechanism inherently programmed to our to our existence and evolution, and it does have that effect at mobilizing and energizing the immune system needed so that it could uh, mount a robust response against whatever pathogen that it's experiencing. And, and usually there's a pyogenic agent that's eliciting and triggering that, and it's usually a cytokinetic signal. Dr. Nick Delgado here with Dr. Anil Bashnath. Dr. Anil, you're in Boston area, and uh, I know you're on the front lines uh, dealing with this coronavirus. Uh, give us an update. Uh, right now, I think I've heard you've only have one case out there. What's going on? No, no, we've got several cases out here in okay. Maryland. I'm at, near Baltimore, Maryland. I'm, I'm next door there to Johns Hopkins uh, working in the urgent care setting. And uh, needless to say, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit concerning, you know, with everything that's going on uh, today. There are five uh, new documented cases, um, but I think we're going to continue to see this uptrend in um, diagnosis and prevalence with that R0 factor increasing with the, dub, uh, the doubling factor here as uh, increased uh, accessibility to testing becomes more available, especially tomorrow with uh, Walmart and uh, Target, CVS, Walgreens rolling out their uh, free testing to the to the public, which I think is a good thing to have access to. Dr. Bashanath, there's uh, an alarming finding, a book uh, you said that was printed in the 1980s. I'm going to clip to that because I, I'm rather intrigued. Uh, this is a, a, an image of a Dean uh, Kuntz. Uh, tell us about the eyes of darkness. What what was this? And I'm going to flip over to the pages that you circled, a New York Times bestseller that somehow predicted this whole situation, even the providence in China, correct? Here we go. You have it circled. Tell us about this. So, yeah, in 1981, uh, Dean Kutz wrote a book, uh, as you mentioned, that actually highlights in 2020 there's going to be an acute respiratory illness that's going to come through, make a swift uh, pandemic, and um, as quickly as it came, it's going to also uh, disappear. And um, he also postulated in that book that uh, it will resurface 10 years from now and then disappear completely. Um, I just find that ironic that the book was written in 81 and um, predicted that Wuhan, China will, was going to be the source of it. He called it Wuhan uh, 200, 400 in his book. And, um, you know, it's it's just one of those things that uh, has surfaced uh, uh, along the Internet that uh, is highlighted and predicted this potential outbreak. Um, I don't know if it's ironic or, or what, but it's definitely interesting to see that this was written way back when and is making uh, its light today. Dr. Bashanath, let's go into your training. It's rather impressive, and I, I want our audience to know who we're talking to and why we've patched you into our live stream here, because we really want people to be aware, not underestimate this condition, but also not overestimate it. So tell us a, a little bit about your training and also your impressive background in microscopy and understanding the terrain versus the microbe. This is this is great stuff because you know this is something I've worked on for a better part of 43 years, and we met in Orlando uh, several years ago uh, well not that many years ago but we started collaborating and talking and discussing the science but uh, tell me your medical training and um, what uh, where, where are you at now in urgent care right 
Yeah, no. Yeah, Nick, I met you, I think it was before I even started medical school. I was completing my undergraduate studies at the University of Central Florida in molecular microbiology and medical laboratory science. And we first bonded over the microscope. Uh, you had it set up at an A4M booth there and you're doing nutritional microscopy as you always do. We had a very a great conversation and then we picked up the conversation several years later after I completed my training um, and um, currently you know I finished my medical school training and, and became board certified family medicine anti-aging regenerative medicine and uh, with uh, additional training in functional medicine with the Institute for Functional Medicine and um, also have a keen interest in lipidology and lipid dynamics per extensive conversation uh, and currently right now I'm working a conventional urgent care setting at Bayview Hopkins um, doing um, urgent care and um, at, in the process of starting my private practice with the Institute for Human Optimization and um, opening up shop here in the near future. Um, uh, writing a book, uh, working title right now, The Longevity Connection and um, I'm sorry, The Longevity Equation. and. Um, you know, with the microscopy, I think this ties in because it's it's just fascinating to see because it goes back to that age-old debate in microbiology about the difference between uh, germ theory and um, the milieu theory of uh, disease and pathophysiology, where essentially you were you know, predisposed potentially to different conditions based upon, especially infectious disease, specifically based around that extracellular milieu and conditions. Um, yeah, yeah, you're holding Cla up. A, yeah, Klatz and Goldman wrote the book Infection uh, Protection. Uh, Ron Klatz and Bob Goldman, and of course they go into a oh, lot yeah. of the issues with uh, microbial exposures. And you know, I, I think it's important that the audience recognize that we are God blessed with the most amazing immune system. Uh, if you really contemplate all the other animals on the planet, what are we amongst the longest besides tortoises and whales and things? But you know, there are uh, species in the world. Uh, there's jellyfish. There's uh, uh, trees, of course. But if you Think of living organisms, lobsters, 500 years, 1,000 years, some 5,000 years. So it's possible when you're talking about the longevity connection, the mitochondria, the uh, cellular milieu of the background of our cellular health. Uh, this is something that I know we're both passionate about because we're seeing things in people that otherwise your, your average practitioner probably isn't really examining very closely. And uh, yet, I, of course, I've looked at tens of thousands of samples uh, with Tony Robbins events and, and every week in the clinic people come in and I'm looking at their blood because they might share me their laboratory work and their hormones and along with Dr. Marian Hanani and Dr. Grossman, our MDs on staff. But I like to look and show them if anything, at least the microscopy is getting leverage to get people to change their diet, their exercise and possibly consider supplementation. Is that how you find it to be? I, I do. I think that, you know, whenever you could assess that uh, biological milieu and the, the qualitative cell dynamics, it paints a picture that isn't captured with your standard CBC blood chemistry work. Granted, you know, it's definitely not taking place or replacing the CBC, but it offers additional insight from a qualitative perspective that, you know, for the consumer or the, the, the patient or the client, you know, I think it's more empowering, you know, to see those cells and uh, what they're doing in its natural state 
versus getting a piece of paper that says MCV is, you know, 97, your uh, HCT is, you know, X amount, and your hemoglobin is 10.8 or whatever it might be. Right. They don't know what that means. No. But when you show them a qualitative a representation of that peripheral blood smear in its undenatured state, you're able to capture a little bit more appreciation of what's taking place in real time and not to mention the potential for looking at the other um, factors like you mentioned our immune system there th as you know there are three formed elements in the blood red cells white cells and platelets and there are different types of white blood cells and the proportion for those white blood cells dictate what's going on in real time with our immune system and uh, those white blood cells tell a very important story about you know health and disease and I think when you're able to sit down with somebody and explore those dynamics it offers for a powerful therapeutic encounter to help explore really what's going on at our root cause level. Well you really I think made that very clear most importantly for the first time not only our clients and patients, but even uh, fellow practitioners, when they get to see their own white blood cells, their immune system, the eosinophils, the basophils, they see the lymphocytes. Uh, if they're looking at tissues and maybe there's a little bit of a, a wound in the tissue, they can actually take a quick look at the macrophages. I mean, it's really rather impressive to, to recognize that we can assess like the viability of the immune system and we can actually determine the number of white blood cells, which certainly, as you said, is not a replacement for the CBC but and the, the complete uh, white blood cell count. But it is showing us from a visual perspective, if they have an abnormal buildup of certain types of cells that show up in the presence of, say, um, food compatibility issues. Now, that the gut, uh, food compatibility, that can tie up the immune system terribly. And when we're talking about strengthening the immune system to challenge uh, a a, a, say a new viral exposure such as the coronavirus, uh, we really have to think in those terms. What are we doing uh, that uh, may be undermining, uh, especially our seniors, uh, their immune system? And what are we feeding them in the hospitals and the care centers? And are they getting proper hydration? And what's going on with their lipid metabolism, right? All these things play a huge role. And within 15 minutes to a half hour, you can assess these things. And more importantly, you, can, you and I can assess it within five minutes of looking through the blood. But the point is teaching and educating educating the client about what we're seeing. And of course, we tell people this is educational. We're not making a diagnosis, but more importantly, we're giving them leverage. I've even seen clients who have been diagnosed with leukemia. You've probably seen it abnormal increase in white blood cell activity. I've seen people a day before they've died um, and see the excessive amount of free radical damage, oxidative stress. You see microbes in the blood. Usually we think of blood as being completely sterile, right? Dr. Ania, what, t tell us about this because this is a whole inner universe that people need to know about that you and I have been looking at. I've been 43 years. You've been looking at it over 22 years, I believe. Yeah, you know, I, you just hit on so many notes, and I agree with everything you have to say. Back to, you know, when you look at it in terms of the immune dynamics, in terms of trying to free up stored energy, if you're eating foods that are hard to digest, you got to keep in mind the bulk of the immune system is concentrated in what's called Pryor's patches in the digestive system. And if your gut is constantly battling with, you know, the... Uh, trying to digest these foods and there's uh, increased gut permeability and we have these macromolecules uh, 
making its way into peripheral circulation that just wreaks havoc on our entire immune system and causes confusion. Um, so, you know, that you that is easily observed in the blood. Um, you don't need a, a fancy test uh, to do it. You just need one drop of blood and you're able to see you know, signs of potential increased gut permeability, transient metabolic endotoxemia, and um, finding that, 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 that manifestation of increased gut permeability. But when you start seeing that, you can also think about, you know, all the other secondary associations with um, how the immune system is being tied up into battling that issues with um, with with auto, the potential of developing autoimmunity and dampening the immune system's ability to address other issues. So you know, almost like with Bruce Ames's triage theory of micronutrients, there's a triaging effect of and prioritization for which immune system has to deal with things. And after a while, there's this idea of what's called immune system energy, where it, it just gives up. You know, it's 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 tapped out. It's loss of fight. It, it moves on and says, you know what? I can't deal with this anymore. I'm going to focus my energy somewhere else. So that immune system energy could develop over time with chronic exposure and the stress. And how it relates to what we're battling today is, again, is a triaging of energy and how our energy is being dedicated to fighting and fortifying and shielding ourselves from these this insult of environmental pa uh, uh, pathogens and those pathogens viral or bacterial or, or parasitic they're out there and they're ubiquitous in the environment it's going to be very important right now to decrease the burden of stress on our system in order for to free up the energy so it could be uh, ready to uh, mount a response to viral infections. But what's unique about viral infections, it activates a very specific part of our immune system that requires um, a, a, a T-cell response. So that T-cell immunity is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a subdivision of what's called lymphocytes. There are different kinds of white blood cells in our system, uh, basophils, eosinophils, uh, monocytes, neutrophils, and they all ha and lymphocytes, and they all have their unique role of immunological surveillance and uh, responding to different threats. And the T cells are the ones that are actually um, that have the responsibility right now to help maintain ourselves and protect ourselves from these viral insults. And um, right now, you know, if we could do our job with uh, decreasing. Uh, immunological confusion with um, you know some healthy lifestyle practices whether it's you know, you know cleaning up the diet getting enough sleep uh, drinking alkaline water and uh, fortifying our immune system with you know healthy doses of preferably you know uh, food source vitamin C you know bioflavonoids right to callings work right you know um, all those factors will help fortify, shield our immune system so that we could have a more robust response if faced with an immunological challenge such as a, a coronavirus. 
You really made that quite clear. I know it, it may be some of our listeners, although we have many health practitioners and doctors and scientists around the world uh, paying attention to our shows. You know, there is the lay public as well. And <laughs> I love talking to you because it, it reminds me of Dr. Jeffrey Bland, you know, where you guys go to this high level. And I love it because, you know, it's, 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 it is scientific. You, some people might need to replay the broadcast, which we'll make available in the show notes and, and the references. But, you know, there's an interesting journal I came across microbes in the era of circadian medicine, uh, February 20 of 20, and it's talking about the need uh, to understand how the body becomes the host to these microbes, but uh, when we adapt the right sleep, the right amount of sunlight that stimulates the immune system, getting the vitamin D conversion under dehydrocholesterol underneath the skin that converts into vitamin D, making sure that we're exercising, which is a marvelous way to increase the immune system. People are sequestering themselves during this coronavirus they're staying indoors in stuffy areas and this is not smart i mean you really got to kind of get outdoors and breathe and exercise and move the body and get outdoors in the daylight like i do on a daily basis and i i really like to flood my body with cold pressed juices eating fresh fruit while i'm eating whole plant-based foods because i tend to be concerned that animal-based uh, exposure to viral loads, microbial, salmonella, E. coli. I mean, you and I, we can see E. coli and things under the microscope. But I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of these circadian rhythms and how the body can kind of convert these bad microbes to the right circadian and then let the good microbes, which is whole the whole science of, of probiotics. And, and you know, I want you to comment on that a little bit. And then I wanted to address this uh, false positive issue with the coronavirus test. I, I just pulled up a journal in March 2020. But uh, let, let's address this about the, the whole idea of, you know, circadian rhythms, the importance of the strength of the immune system and hormonal balance, which is critical to a good immune system, right? Absolutely. Um, you said it all, but uh, I do think that, uh, you know, there's this uh, concept of a chronobiome where our body is uh, linked to a natural circadian rhythm. Nobel Prize was recently awarded in looking at these clock genes and how these clock genes influence our biological rhythms. And um, what's even more fascinating is how that microbial diversity in the microbiome actually influences our, our natural circadian rhythms and are upregulated at various times and downregulated in other times. And it's very delicate uh, process for which it responds to environmental stimuli. Um, so, you know, looking at how, again, the biological milieu and how that milieu or bouillon uh, influences the ability for certain microbes to grow and proliferate is very important. Um, and its relationship to this this rhythm is, is very delicate and can be thrown off with simply not getting enough sleep. There's you know, different papers that are emerging that are actually looking at uh, evaluating these disruptions in our microbial diversity with circadian disruption. And um, I could get you some more articles on that if you'd like, but I think that right now it's, it's, it goes back to just, you know, some of the principles of Chinese medicine. And when you look at Chinese medicine as a whole, it, it really takes into account this concept of uh, circadian and biological rhythm and how 
different organs have its peaks and lows and how we have our peaks and lows with hormones and cortisol and DHEA and how it fluctuates throughout the day and how melatonin production is such a delicate indicator or, uh, or, or a biological um, regulator of this circadian rhythm. And if your body is you know disrupted or if there's like for example your sleep environment if that super charismatic nuclei uh, senses any ambient light from the photoreceptors on your eyelids it's going to dampen your melatonin production you're not going to get the most restorative sleep possible so it gets into biohacking your your hormones and your environment so that it's conducive to this but you know shift workers like me um, you know, where you're constantly, uh, you know, working these crazy long hours and nights and so forth um, with a quick turnaround, you know, we're the ones that are more susceptible for these disruptions. And, you know, um, it's been, you know, well established that, you know, it's linked to all sorts of disruptions and uh, cardiometabolic potential and insulin resistance, you know, because of that. And um, it, it's just very fast. And I purposely, you know, I'm, I'm wearing my uh, aura ring here, you know, so I'm able to capture this biometric data, get my sleep score. I correlate that to my sleep number mattress. And I'm, I'm very big on making sure that I'm able to compensate for disruptions in my my rhythm and my chronobiome and trying to eat um, nutrients associated with that. One of the big things is vitamin D. We know that vitamin D is not a hormone, right? It's a, right. It's a, I'm sorry, vitamin D is not a vitamin. Specifically, it's a hormone. It Correct. binds to nuclear receptor sites and activates transcriptional factors and regulates a third of the human genome. So with that being said, wow. you know, one of the interesting things is, is making sure that you're getting vitamin D, for example, earlier in the day, so that you could have that stimulation because when do you get vitamin D typically? From the sunlight and you get it typically during the day. There's research out there saying, and I, I've recently learned this, you know, because I would take vitamin D in the evening time, but it's been shown that vitamin D uh, in the evening has been shown to dampen your melatonin production. Oh, that makes so sense. So it's uh, looking at, you know, a part of this chronobiome is the when to take the right nutrients to help facilitate the right physiological processes. And um, it's all part of that big equation of uh, further optimizing your micronutrients and leveraging the microbiome to help enhance your immune system because they are our first line defense. And one of the biggest challenges I have clinically in a conventional model is convincing my patients that they don't need an antibiotic for a viral illness. You know, we've been trained to believe that, oh, I'm sick, I've got, you know, X amount of symptoms, um, and I need an antibiotic to take care of it. But the reality is, nine times out of ten, when you go and see your doctor, you're probably battling a viral illness that just started recently. And if you, you know, just wait a little bit longer, temporize the symptoms, and um, fortify your immune system, you won't develop that secondary bacterial infection, whether it's pneumonia or, or whatever it may be. And it, it's almost, I always use a boxing analogy. We're both uh, fans of mixed martial arts, UFC, boxing, and I, it's a one-two punch, you know, the viral, the, the viral illness is a, a stiff jab, and, you know, the secondary bacterial uh, infection is that, that secondary cross, and if, you know, if if you, you get stunned with the jab, you got to definitely, you know, duck so you don't get hit with that cross. And ducking 
or bobbing and weaving is going to be your your immune support during that viral phase. Yeah, so it, it's, it's rather astonishing because Brazil just did a UFC, just concluded. My son texted me. It was great fights, but it was the first UFC to have no audience whatsoever uh, because of wow. you know the whole situation of uh, not allowing sure. more than a few hundred people in a crowd and so forth. And I, I think uh, it makes sense to be careful. But what has me concerned, and I mentioned it at the top of the show, was this issue with um, – the uh, false positive. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring this up on a journal reference, and sure. people can cross-reference this, uh, and then we're going to get on to some of the biology belief with Bruce Lipton, you know, you and I, and, and the power of the mind and recognizing, you know. But this pandemic, this issue, uh, you know, we, we have to be careful because we're, we're not looking at the kind of spread, uh, or are we, you know, of... Uh, like what happened with the bubonic uh, plague and and some of these other issues uh but at those times people uh, in the early days they they had unclean water they didn't understand the association with foods i'm, I'm showing a quick thing on 1918 the swine flu the 1300s the bubonic plague where literally millions of people died and uh we we look back and these people were physically compromised they were malnourished they lived in unsanitary conditions and uh you know that th this is important to recognize as well but i do want to scroll down here to this false positive this this is uh here we go um potential false positive rate among the asymptomatic infected individuals in close contact with the covid 19 uh that is the coronavirus and this this just came out uh i believe we're, we're looking at uh february uh here no march 5th uh, uh 2020 so you know this very very recent breaking news and they're talking about that it's a, a an 80% false positive if they run out and get the test, meaning uh, in 80% of the cases, they're going to be told they have the coronavirus when they don't, uh, and only a 20% sensitivity in, in a, uh, identifying that they truly do have the coronavirus. So we're going to have to be careful about the validity of the test. Uh, you and I know there are some tests that are much more sensitive and accurate, and uh, the, the risk of, of having people run out and being terrified uh, based on a test, I mean, it's much like like uh, the detection rate of the AIDS virus. They had a similar problem with, I believe it was somewhere over a 50-some, 60% false positive. Uh, I might stand corrected on that. But this is the newest data that just came out. So doing the swab of the nose and, and having the um, comparative um, DNA of the uh, this particular virus, the coronavirus, and then sending it off to the lab, we're not getting good enough data yet. So I, I would be concerned for people. Uh, I, and that's why I think we still have to come back full circle. What are we doing to educate people about uh, the immune system? What are we doing to get them on track, right? Because you and I have known for a better part of 20 to 40 years that uh, the whole battle, there is not a drug that effectively eradicates viruses. It's all about the strength of the immune system, correct? Correct, correct. Um, you know, once you get into the virology dynamics, um, you know, with coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 being a positive sense RNA virus, and it's having a, having a very unique envelope protein uh, structure and um, its ability, you know, some of the, uh, first to address the first issue that you discussed was um, the false positive, 80% false positive rates, pretty significant, pretty alarming. Yes. However, it's it's in response, uh, reactionary 
um, response to trying to accelerate the increased need for testing. You know, I think yesterday uh, Ro Roche was just uh, approved by the FDA to mass produce uh, testing uh, equipment needed for the COVID-19. And again, without the appropriate, uh, appropriate um, fail-safe precautions and, and backup and, and, and um, studies needed to guarantee its efficacy. And when you rush things into medical laboratory science uh, domain without their appropriate testing and vetting, there, this is a risk that we uh, receive with with that is that it hasn't been appropriately vetted it hasn't appropriately been refined especially when it comes down to rna viruses right. on a molecular level you know we were discussing offline you know in virology this idea of genetic shift genetic drift and various morphologies that could influence the mutation rate of specific viruses and its ability to uh, cause infection. And when you look at it, especially from a, a vaccine perspective and uh, the uh, efficacy, for example, of this year's influenza vaccine and the staggering numbers for which we saw uh, influenza deaths in comparison to um, you know, previous years, despite vaccination, and I could tell you firsthand, um, you know, I would say 80% of the people that I saw clinically um, that had their flu vaccine still developed influenza this year. And one of the bis biggest misconceptions about the vaccine is it's not going to prevent you from getting the virus. It's just going to help your immune system pre-program itself to deal with the insult. So instead of seeing these patients that are like, curled up in fetal position that you know with nuchal rigidity chills rigors all the other horrible symptoms of influenza they're actually sitting up and talking you know in full sentences without diaphoresis um because their immune system has been pre-programmed um because it's been vaccinated so you know i it, it's a very interesting idea of you know the the testing to vaccine uh, conundrum that we're faced with right now because again i think that false positive is um you know due to the premature uh, approval of tests which is desperately needed at this point in time in the u.s to quench the diagnosis of this growing infectious process and the potential for this error now you you mentioned you know not to the, the stress that it could have provoked and everything else. I mean, you get into some of the biostatistics between false positive, false negative. That's a whole nother discussion. But, you know, having a false positive and exercising more precaution, I think, is better than having a false negative and inadvertently spreading it amongst the community. And, you know, um, we were speaking again offline whether or not this is a geopolitical move and all the different conspiracy talk about, you know, the virus. But I do think that it's important to exercise universal precaution. We could all use a little bit more time with family. <laughs> That's a loaded <laughs> statement. <laughs> you know, and take it, take it easy and just really just, buck, you know, buckle down and spend more time, uh, quality time at home and um, really appreciate our loved ones and, and, and just use this time for self-growth and reflection and, um, um, turn it into a positive and really channel some good good energy out of it. Get caught up on cleaning or you know writing and organizing your thoughts, um, and and just 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 use this time to really you know facilitate self growth. Um, I think it's a, it's it's not a bad thing. Um, what is concerning though is not taking this seriously 
and going out into public and knowing that the incubation period for this virus could be upwards of 6 to 21 days. If I've also seen numbers of 24 days. So that's very concerning because we could all be potentially, not all, but you know, especially me being frontline to this virus, I could be harboring this. I don't know it. I'm, I'm, I'm inoculated with it. It's, you know, dividing in my nasopharyngeal region and I have no clue. And then, oh you know, a few days later, you're hit with the symptoms. It's very concerning because I did develop the flu this year um, and it, it kicked my butt for three days. But um, and despite having the vaccine, but, um, you know, it, it's part of being, um, you know, in healthcare and on the front line, unfortunately, the self-sacrifice that you make. Um, but another idea, I don't know if you've seen it or not, is looking at the, the receptor site binding for coronavirus um, and its um, affinity to angiotensin II receptors. So there, there's an article that came out um, this year in BMJ, British Medical Journal, that looked at the receptor site binding for coronavirus and its affinity to angiotensin II receptor sites in lung tissue. And there's it's postulated that um, angiotensin receptor blockers, ARBs, a drug like Losartan, has a potential as a novel therapeutic agent in the treatment of coronavirus. This is something new. It, uh, unfortunately, there's no double-blind placebo-controlled studies right now to validate it. It's a working um, theoretical mechanism for, for treatment. And um, I think it, it, it's something that we should look into if, unfortunately, we um, succumb and become infected with the virus. And um, just... Uh, Again, a fascinating mechanism for which, uh, you know, the infectious cause and, and, and its affinity to the lung tissue. Because when you get into the RAS system, the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, and how that works in terms of blood pressure management, salt retention, and so forth, we know that there there's this uh, angiotensin-converting enzyme that's released in the, in the lung, and there's a separate receptor in the lung called angiotensin-2, and um, we, we have found that's the binding site that um, the, the COVID um, has affinity to. Yeah, I, I just pulled up the journal. I believe that you're referring to uh, March of 2020 uh, uh, here, very, very, very recent. And, I, you know, I, I think you hit it on the nose. And I do want to now kind of go into the whole idea. We shouldn't be talking about protection and avoidance because eventually what what happens when you do uh, develop uh, the, the virus. And I really want to address this very, I believe, unfortunate confusion about somehow we should suppress the fever, we should, uh, and, and somehow restrict food intake, when in reality, uh, there's a lot of evidence that if, if you're eating the right whole plant-based foods, you're getting hydration, which is critical during a, a time of a fever, that, that people really need to pay attention to the aspects of supporting the body during its moments of defense and one of the moments of defense is not to take and I, i'm going to stick it out there and see how you respond but to to not take uh you know, the the um insects and, and the aspirins and the tylenols and so forth and and knock the fever down before the body's had a chance to mount a defense and create a proper um arsenal with uh, as you and i know uh, when when the body forms a fever the symptom is not 
stop the problem, the, the symptom, the, the fever is helping the body to increase enzyme activity and white blood cell activity. Um, and, and we really want to understand to foster and protect and preserve that person during that time of fever. How do you feel about that, uh, Dr. Anil uh, Bashanath? Well, I, I agree with what you said. The, the fever is a defense mechanism inherently programmed to our to our existence and evolution. And it does have that effect at mobilizing and energizing the immune system needed so that it could uh, mount a robust response against whatever pathogen that it's experiencing. And, and usually there's a pyogenic agent that's eliciting and triggering that, and it's usually a cytokinetic signal. Um, to to the hypothalamus, which is going to help uh, trigger this entire process. But um, you know, again, it is an inherently defense uh, programming there, and it's meant to to heat the body up a little bit, uh, so that we could have the ability to um, deal with the issue. And I do agree uh, where you're coming from in regards to not necessarily. T jumping uh, quickly to antipyrogenic agents. Uh, however, you know, as we get older, you know, the, the risk for complications associated with fever is very high. So it's a double-edged sword. You don't want to blunt that mechanism for which you are mounting or a defense mechanism um, as it's going to have immune modulating benefits but at the same time too high of a fever could lead to encephalitis it could lead to febrile seizures and it could lead to secondary complications and as we get older unfortunately our ability to withstand and be resilient to some of those fevers and its secondary complications it decreases so as we get older fever is more concerning I think as we get older then versus when we're younger. And, um, you know, I, I, I have children that come to me, um, you know, this week I had a child with a fever of 104.7 and um, they had influenza A and their parents, you know, came back after the diagnosis. I didn't make the diagnosis. And they're like, you know, the fever's still going on. What do we do? And they started Tamiflu, but, um, you know, they're not giving that pyogenic agent. Child's fine on the on the cell phone, watching Teletubbies <laughs> right. or whatever kids do these days, right. and you know, just like whatever. Um, but you know, I, I, in clinically, I was not comfortable sending the child home until we brought that fever down, you know, to within, you know, something acceptable. 104.7 is a potential for febrile seizures in children, and that's nerve-wracking. So again, it's a double-edged sword, and I, I, I understand, you know the reactionary cause to jump on it but i'm gonna pose an argument to check you know use a, a little bit of infrared sauna you know <laughs> i have got an infrared sauna poking back here i did my i got session. the same I'm thing in my session. house and i use it a four or five times a, a week yeah 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 you know i'm i'm popping in there before work today and um you know gonna try to squeeze in a session again tomorrow morning yep um i feel as though the infrared sauna is a form of hyperther hyperthermia exercise Correct. hyperthermia that could help you with um uh, mounting and modulating the immune system so you could tackle this issue right so again i'm not going to tell people not to take anti-pyro um anti-fever medicine um i'm going to say that you know if it starts climbing up as you get older above a specific threshold it does become concerning for both um youth and um adults because uh the risk for secondary uh, complications is real so i don't want to disseminate misinformation or have anything you know people are like oh dr badge i said don't take tylenol for my fever so that's i think more dangerous than 
thing good. Um, yeah, I understand. Yeah. If you, but if you think about it, and I'm going to put my neck out on the line on this. When you think of the oldest living individual uh, to have died in in France uh, due to dehydration was was actual the 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 final you know acknowledged cause of death, and you know. Living to 123 years of life, uh, Jean Calumet, I mean, that's pretty darn impressive. But the sad part being that she died of dehydration. And, and you read the book uh, by Dr. Bat Majlin, uh, Our Body's Many Cries for Water. And you think about the best oh, yeah. test, right, to think about, you know, the great German physiologist. But uh, you think about the test for dehydration is not thirst, it's 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 the color of the urine being bright yellow or even hues of yellow when it should be clear like a baby when a baby's born they're highly hydrated they're breastfeeding it's clear like water right and 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 these babies you know uh really as we get adults we become like shrinked up uh, prunes i mean it's just sad that people don't understand that the foods we dehydrate the animal foods take eight times more water to digest when we eat animal protein or cheese or fats or oils or meats when we eat foods rich in water content watermelon delivers water to us uh, cantaloupe uh, we eat oranges with rich in bioflavonoids uh, with the white part under the peel which is good for the vitamin c aspects and chili peppers higher in vitamin c than I almost any known food and you think about in countries where they eat a lot of chilies they have a low incidence of respiratory distress and disease and death and and at the same time you know i i want to backtrack and think about you know how do we support people my bigger concern is you probably hook up people to nutritional IVs if they're dehydrated and, and you have that access in, in the medical facility but people at home they're not thinking ahead before their exercise to hydrate before during and after I know when I lift weights I, I'm hydrating to the max and even then it's hard to keep up with it even as much as a plant-based diet I'm 65 years old still competing in strength and endurance competition so I know my biggest limiting factor in sports is dehydration the moment you hit that point of dehydration it's too late you're, you're in trouble right i agree um hydration is critical and you know you're looking at your urine is a great surrogate you know uh reflection of your hydration status if you're lucky enough to have a urine dipstick and check the specific gravity okay you know i i see it all the time you know especially with um patients or coming in giving us a ua and sure enough their specific gravity is highly concentrated and it's a greater than 1.030 and their ketones in the urine which is you know um, a reflection of dehydrated status um, but you don't need a dipstick to determine that you just look at the concentration of the urine right and um, maybe not pee into a toilet but a cup and really look to see if there's any cellular debris within the urine or anything else like that and how concentrated it is but if it's dark right off the bat you know you're you're, you're uh, dehydrating you're not where you need to be it's that simple um and back to the ivs you know i i run tons of ivs every day um Sweet. you know in most cases it's due to people with um infectious cause and i'm throwing and they're dealing with sepsis and i'm, I'm throwing in additional antibiotics in there but um you know the nutritional ivs have so much utility right now I think um, looking at Shanghai recently has openly endorsed the, the role of vitamin C um, in the prevention of coronavirus. And I think that right now is a very important time that we should all be uh, consuming uh, vitamin C rich foods. You, you just named a ton of them. I'll add to the mix kiwi and uh, coconut water, I think, are great sources of vitamin yes. C. Yes. Additionally, I think, you know, what I'm doing at work 
after every meal I have, I'm trying to stay as, uh, I, I follow 80-20. I try to eat 80% plant-based, and then the other 20 I, I kind of cheat with. Um, but uh, And I, I'm glad you acknowledge this is cheat with, because, you know, the reality is if we could be completely plant-based, that would be ideal. But, you know, we're human, and we're, we grew up on a certain diet. I, you and I grew up on an animal-based diet. I, I don't deny it. And uh, in the day when I was younger, your age, I, I would slip in things. Now, I'm really careful because it's just as I get older, I don't want to compromise my immune system, especially, you know, I'm at higher risk at age 65. What is it they say? I have a 6,000% less active immune system if I'm the typical 65-year-old. Uh, I don't know. I, it could I don't be... believe that, Nick. Okay. I don't believe that. Well, You're one of the healthiest 65-year-olds that I've ever met, and I guarantee you, yeah. your chronological age might be 65, but I believe your biological age would be in the 40s. I guarantee that. The way you, you carry yourself, I've known you for several years, yeah. you know, you're a walking example of what it takes to get to that, that level of aging gracefully, and I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that your telomeres and your, your epigenetic testing and everything else will be that of somebody younger. Your biological age is younger than 65. Well, Mark, well, thank you. And you know, I, I am going to do this next month, uh, the DNA, uh, it's a, a DNA uh, age. It's called a DNA yeah. and it shares the A uh, uh, yes, uh, yes. age. And I'm going to check age. my, yeah. yeah, I'm going to check yeah. my chromosome, telomeres and the whole thing. But you know, Dibnai Maharaj, uh, MD, he's the blood hematology guy out of Florida. And he, he stated that some people, as they enter their aged years, have a strong immune system. They don't have a decline in immune function. I have an insanely strong immune system it's scary dr klatz talks to me all the time he says i don't get it man you you are like crazy strong immune system and i'm, I'm blessed but i i follow lifestyle practices i take supplements i look at my blood on a weekly basis i do these things because i know that's going to difference between when well i will live beyond 100 or not i mean i can't take it uh, at chance right well, and also, you know, immunological aging is a process uh, mostly mediated from thymic atrophy, right? So as wow. we get older, the thymus, which actually sits right here in your chest, atrophies as we get older. And this thymic atrophy is actually one of the key programming sites that releases T cells into our circulation. And it's unfortunate as we age that gland atrophies. And it's important, you know, to do things to, again, you know, looking at these concepts of autophagy, for example, um, me and my publishing company are working on a, um, uh, a the next newsletter to discuss the roles of autophagy. And we're looking at the literature. And, you know, autophagy won a Nobel Prize a few years back. Right. And essentially, you know, the, the role of autophagy is associated with intermittent fasting. And this goes back to the work now um, is several different researchers, but most notably, uh, Walter Longo, who I'm, is, I'm with uh, you, USC, right? And yeah, he talks about a yeah, window USC between 8 in the morning and 8 p.m. Keep it eating between that and it. don't eat after and don't eat before. Yes. So I think, you know, with his work, especially what, I, you know, I think is incredible to see is its way, it's making its way into mainstream medical literature. So he was published in New England Journal of Medicine in December of uh, last year. And I mean, uh, uh, showing the benefits of aging uh, with, you know, uh, anti-aging properties and uh, cardiometabolic health with uh, intermittent fasting, whether you're doing a 16-8, 18-6, or doing a fasting mimicking diet, it has uh, incredible utility. And, you know, looking at the role, that, that biological role and mechanism of stimulating autophagy, and autophagy actually is uh, stimulated through various pathways, most notably by an inhibition of mTOR. mTOR 
stands for the mammalian target of rhabdomyosin, and that actually influences how your immune system is programmed. And it's also um, down-regulated with up-regulation of AMP kinase. And one of the, the best one of the best drugs on the market for uh, facilitating, the, facilitating that pathway and stimulating it is uh, metformin. So metformin actually has some anti-aging benefits in terms of helping achieve some of the, the age benefits of um, that, that pathway of mTOR inhibition. Yeah, so, I might mention uh, that uh, John, Jonathan Wright, our colleague there, the grandfather of hormones, he talks about berberin, that there's substantial evidence that berberin may work just as good. I created a product yes. with berberin, and I call it insulin mitochondria stability. And I, I think that you really have to address, like you said, the insulin, the mitochondria, the mitochondria boosters, and, you know, coming back full circle, I mean, berberin's amazing. And, uh, quite probably has less potential side effects than metformin so over the long haul so i'm i'm kind of placing my bet some are taking metformin every day personally i'm using significant proper dosages of of uh, berberin bergamante lycopene and uh, some of the associated insulin stability uh nutrients uh, and, and you Absolutely. know, it just to me, it, it's it's a safer uh, gamble. Much like we found out later, right? That vitamin A, uh, it was better to get it from the beta carotenoids uh, with the vitamin C, yes. as you said, the bioflavonoids with astragalus. I'm not going with the extract that costs four hundred dollars a bottle. I'm going with a, a, a astragalus at a two hundred to one concentration, so I get the all the extracts concentrated properly. So you know, again, when I when I'm formulating and looking at product interventions, people said, well, why are you creating these supplements? You can get it all from diet. Well, you and I know nutrient deficiency under a microscope is pathological and common and consistent. We see ovalocytes, oh, yeah, microcytes. Absolutely. We see very serious uh, nutritional deficiencies, and not just occasionally. It's almost uh, pervasive. I mean, I, I and, and I want you to comment on that for a moment, and then also let's come back full circle to that thymus, and we're both, I think, fans of peptides now with, with the science about beta uh, thymus and and so forth but uh, please address this that this little known fact here's a nice way without diagnosing but you know when, when they run a cbc we see these my uh, uh, the lab says uh, there's a like you mentioned mcv and so forth all these changes but we're visually looking under a microscope and able to show people one of our coming shows you and i did an online course together and we can show these microcytic cells too small iron deficiency b12 deficiencies particularly in a plant-based but even animal-based foods uh, people can have low um, ability to absorb the B12 due to the uh, um, various uh, acids of the body and so forth, right? So uh, comment on that. How often do you see it? I mean, I've seen it, uh, unfortunately, in a majority of people, nutritional deficiencies. Um, yeah, yeah. Micronutrient deficiency is incredibly pervasive in our, our, our society right now. And then also one of the- You mean Twinkies and, and Skittles aren't good for us and they're, all the sugar and fats no, and oils is wrecking no. our immune system and alcohol and white bread and white flour? I mean, right? I mean, how can people elude it? I mean, it's, it's so common. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's, it's a multifactorial uh, process for which it's, uh, again, and going back to Bruce Ames' uh, triage theory of micronutrients, as you run out, you know, your body has a self-preservation mechanism built in, but it unfortunately compromises um, specific tissues and pathways, um, uh, and, and with that compromise, you know, you're starting losing different levels of cellular integrity. Um and with that being said, I, I think it's multifactorial. One of the most 
notable causes, I think, of micronutrient deficiency in the U.S. right now is drug-induced micronutrient wow. deficiency, wow. where if you were to actually look at a lot of these drugs, especially, you know, one of the most prescribed drugs in the U.S. right now are PPIs, and it actually ties back into that B12 factor. So not only does like metformin and PPIs inhibit B12 utilization or absorption from multiple levels, uh, again, the omeprazole or, or any of the PPIs also... Um, when you get into B12 utilization in the system, there's a, a compound or a factor called intrinsic factor. And yep. this I'm intrinsic factor is um, very sensitive and delicate. And simple things could throw off its uh, production. And In um, other words, they could be getting enough B12 but not absorbing B12. it, right? They could be getting yeah, the B12 yeah, but so, not absorbing it because of intrinsic factor. So, so, I mean, exactly. You know, you could be taking it orally and not absorbing it and utilizing it efficiently and you might need to use injectables or methylcobalamin or sublingual dosing to get its um its delivery um so you know there are different causes but i do think that you know with the uh amount of medications that are prescribed in the u.s and our sedentary lifestyle indoor lifestyle you know we don't all have the luxury of living in uh <laughs> where you're at there in Irvine, uh, Newport, Newport Beach, California, where it's beautiful year round, you know, right. some of us uh, are stuck in the winter. And uh, unfortunately, you know, that's, again, another seasonal thing, looking at the role of vitamin D, for example, during winter times, it's known that could be linked to seasonal affective disorder or SAD. And that influences, you know, when that vitamin D status goes down seasonally, it, it, it's associated with all sorts of immunological challenges. Um, and you, it's something that you could measure. So I think that, again, the micronutrients from beta carotene to, you know, A to Z, um, there's just so many different compounds that are involved with so many different processes. Zinc, you know, the, the role is zinc. Um, and then you know, when you look at it from an environmental context in regards to hidden uh, environmental toxins that actually displace these micronutrients, for example, when you, you're exposed to free radical halogenation, if you were to look at the periodic table, you got chlorine, fluorine, and bromine, and all that stuff displaces your body's iodine. So if you're exposed to, on a regular level, chl chlorine, fluorine, and bromine, based on laws of uh, electrochemical uh, gradients and uh, electronegativity, um, the that those those molecules have a larger negative charge which is going to displace the larger bulkier iodine so your body is not going to utilize iodine if it's constantly being exposed to those free radical halogenation uh, molecules so again it, it could be seen from you know uh, a malnutrition perspective um, a, a malabsorptive perspective um, a drug-induced micronutrient perspective and a seasonal perspective so there are different ways and different things that are mediating that process and dr bastion uh, think about uh, fukushima and the radiation exposure and the need for maybe milligram dosages of iodine to protect the thyroid from thyroid cancer and just imagine the, the incidence with thyroid disorders as you mentioned the halogens uh, basically uh, as endocrine disruptors of thyroid and proper thyroid function the thyroid's critical to the immune system against uh, coronavirus right yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, potassium iodine was the molecule of choice to protect the thyroid against uh, radioactive isotopes. And um, 
there was a product back in the market um, back in the day called BioRad that was marketed around um, the time, I think, around 9-11 uh, when there was so many concerns for biological warfare and that was being sold uh, commercially as something, if God forbid, there was some sort of radioactive outburst, you know, to, to pop a bunch of potassium iodide to prevent the 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 radioactive uptake into the thyroid tissue which would ultimately lead to you know cancer and all sorts of negative consequences um fukushima chernobyl all those different um you know radioactive uh, uh exposures as you know leads to all sorts of secondary uh cancers and leukemias and it's just it's a, another hidden source of um environmental intoxication. Well, it's another good so. reason why you and I use the far infrared spa and, and cook her body at fairly good temperatures with a lot of hydration. While I'm in sitting in the tent, I've got my feet in a uh, Jing orb that is actually rejuvenating the energy um, uh, millivolts of my various organs because then it, theoretically unfolded proteins and things that can happen in relationship to cancer, it has a protective factor and particularly kids also on the spectrum, autism, ADD, ADA, HD, you know, when we're yeah. using the Jing orb and then my feet are being kept cool while I'm able to sit in there for 35 minutes. And normally I can't tolerate 35 minutes in the infrared spa, but with my yeah. feet uh, yeah. dipped in, in water uh, and, and I have like purified water in there with a little uh, baking soda in there. So it's got a little mineral activity. And then uh, sometimes I'll go a second session, a second 35 minutes and I come out of there perspiring, but I've drank in 64 ounces of raw, you know, cold pressed juice. I've, I've downed the water that was in a vase container of water uh, that's sitting in the Jing orb. So all that water is going through my body with the high nutrient density. And then I mix it with some beet vitality, some uh, slim blend and, uh, you know, 20 different organic fruits and vegetables. So I, I'm just flushing my body with massive amounts of nutrient density while I'm hydrating on a daily basis. Because to me, that's a more preventative factor. Should my body develop and when it does, because we all get colds, flus, I get them too. But when I study the incredible work by uh, William McKinley Jeffries, uh, Safe Uses of Cortisol, uh, of course, by William uh, McKinley Jeffries, you've probably read this text. Uh, if not, I mean, uh, many of the um, scientists, including Terry Hertog, have read this and studied it. And, you know, he talks about knocking out the flu with hydrocortisone. Uh, John F. Kennedy was using uh, cortisone therapy because of Addison's disease. And you and I know that uh, hydrocortisone or cortisol production of the adrenals and adrenal fatigue, our, our colleague, uh, Dr. Wilson talks about adrenal fatigue, but we really have to look at, you know, how do we sustain the, the healthy cortisol, not, not uh, corticosteroids, but you know, where that's necessary temporarily, but the use of, of natural hydrocortisone to build up the body and outdoor daylight, how that increases cortisol production. So all these things are important, right? For the immune system well, against coronavirus. Well, that's licorice, you know, uh, DGL licorice <laughs> yes. actually has an enzyme that potentiates and prevents the degradation of our endogenous cortisol production. So, um, but again, you got to be careful with that, uh, monitor your blood pressure, make sure it's not spiking up, but licorice is a great cortisol potentiator, but cortisol goes back down, back again to your circadian rhythm. Yes. And it's one of the, the key hormones. Dark at night, light during the day. By your, your, yeah. Yeah, your biological rhythm, your your um, blood sugar levels, your stress levels, um, and it's um, you know amazing um, uh, compound that 
helps enhance self-preservation, but it also comes at a detriment in terms of, you know, it, it's producing these little spurts, but it comes with, you know, the, the side effect of actually leading to cardiometabolic um, uh, resistance. It, it leads to fat retention, um, increases your blood pressure, all sorts of negative consequences with that. So, um, again, if you could uh, de-stress, increase your heart rate variability and coherent factor, do the things that you're doing. That's why I love talking to you, man, because, you know, <laughs> I think we're a part of a unique tribe that's doing these weird things. We have these weird saunas at our house, and we're <laughs> drinking these weird juices, taking a handful of supplements a day, drinking alkaline water, right. and things like that. And, you know, I, I, I'm telling you, I just moved into my new place here, and uh, one of the first things I installed was a uh, uh, alkaline water system, 10-phase uh, uh, water filtration with reverse osmosis, alkalization, yep. remineralization. Sweet. And um, it, it, Same it's thing I have. Things I've, yep. I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of that water. It's wonderful. So the quality of water makes a huge difference. And, and doing all the things that you're doing, these little biohacks are critical at um, enhancing our self-preservation. And uh, you had mentioned some of the different peptide therapies that are out there. Yeah. That's a whole nother, you know, realm of met, um, resources that I think is going to make its way into mainstream literature soon enough. You know, the from the thymosin to yep. the BPC-157. Right. Um, you know, these, these different uh, biological agents and compounds they're being used right now insulin is a peptide therapy you know GPC, um, GLP analogs are, are a part of commercial uh, prescription uh, for, for diabetics and um Additionally, you know, growth hormone and all these different things, these are all peptides and they do marvelous things within our system. And, um, you know, we're just discovering more of these peptides and signaling molecules. Um, but, you know, using them responsibly is going to be important because, you know, there's still um, there's a lot of data out there, mostly on animal studies. And we're still waiting to see how this affects, you know, some of the human clinical trials, which, um, you know, which is being done right now. And it's exciting to see. It's a, a very exciting time in medicine and healthcare and the different resources that we'll have. Well, um, you, you but, and I uh, look at healthcare differently from a proactive standpoint. I know you're on the front lines and you've got to deal with emergency medicine, but the reality is you and I personally practice. And, you know, I think about people trying to suppress uh, coughs, for example, using, I'll use names, Robitussin, NyQuil, and so forth. But it's loaded with sugar and alcohol and all these chemicals. And I'm like, what? You know, you know, look, the body has a cough and you want it to be a productive cough. You want it, you want this, this junk in your system to be coughed out. And if you're dehydrated and you don't have the micronutrients, you don't have the ability to, to remove or let go of these toxins, that's the body's natural way to let go and get rid of harmful microbes yeah. and, and concentrations. So what? why are people trying to suppress coughs? It should be a productive cough. I get a dry cough. Well, you know, coughing, you know, it, 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 sure, when you're not having these little paroxysms of horrible spasmatic coughs. Yes. Because, yeah. uh, I, 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 you know, when you say there's a spectrum of coughing, productive, <laughs> right. dry, right. Um, and so forth. And I mean, I, I've seen people that are really suffering with really horrible coughs. And, um, you know, you get a chest x-ray, it's clear, you know, maybe a little parabronchial cuffing or, or, or thickness, which is associated with a bronchitis. And. And, um, you know, you have to you have to temporize that situation. But I think what is itis, man, going back to that simple, 
you know, fundamental thing that we discuss so much in integrative and functional medicine, it's inflammation. Yes. Anything with itis is inflammation. So if it's inflamed, why not try to quench that inflammatory response by removing uh, the, the, the triggering factor and uh, help modulating that cytokinetic milieu that's pro-inflammatory with omega-3s, vitamin D, additional antioxidants, again, to help temporize that so that you're not having as violent of a cough. Um, but um, yes, cough is another defense mechanism that we have that we don't want to blunt. And, um, and what about sore throat? Uh, sore throat gargling with salt water—a good old traditional uh, remedy that can help quite a bit, right? Very beneficial for halophobic organisms such as strep. Um, so they're scared of salt and um, could cause <laughs> osmotic burst yeah. of their cell membranes. Right. So I think, yeah, you know, that's that's beneficial. I'll shift the localized um, osmotic gradient um, in the tissue mm -hmm. um, to make it less habitable by some of the organisms that are adhering to the, the oropharyngeal mucosal lining. Um, you know, all these little agents are, are incredibly beneficial at modulating the immune system and temporizing some of the symptoms. It, it, it's very impressive when you think also of the application of methyl donors, MSM, TMG, DMG, the uh, PSS, uh, phosphatidylserine. Uh, these, you know, some of them just come from apples, and they say an apple day keeps the doctors away. But you know, the reality is these methyl donors are a CH3 molecule. As they break down, they're letting the body undergo over a billion chemical reactions per second, and you know, without which, you know, we wouldn't survive. So, so keep in mind that as we age, we don't have sufficient amount of methyl donors present. Right, so we need to support this. This is another area of supplementation that I'm big on. I use on a daily basis. Uh, what, what do you think about well, methyl donors, doctor? Methyl donors serve a very significant role um, in these various biological processes, from hepatic detoxification to monoamine neurotransmitter synthesis um, to immune modulation, and they are very important for you know our ability to. Um, turn off and on various specific gene signaling. So methyl donors are very critical in that epigenetic factor and process, but also, you know, transulfation and sulfo sulfur donors and all these other uh, different uh, natural compounds help facilitate these different processes. Uh, and they're, they're just found in good food, you know, uh, onions, garlic, all those different agents that we know that help with the immune system and um, have a, a tremendous benefit. So Mitochondrial uh, uh, boosters, uh, acrylo uh, powder. Uh, you know, I, I look at uh, you know the use of, of stay young and, and chewable tablets and nitric oxide. Talk about nitric oxide and its role in the immune system. How the nitric oxide fills in the white blood cells, and when it comes across a microbe, it has the ability to help uh, seek and destroy. What, what what is your thoughts about uh, these these uh, importance of nitric oxide in the role uh, to to build the proper immune system in simple saliva tests that we you know we can do uh, for nitric oxide assessment so yeah nitric oxide is an incredibly important biological compound then there's three different main forms of it inos enos and ennos mm -hmm. and these different forms of nitric oxide have uh, the important role of mediating um, vascular uh, dilation and contraction yes and is important for allowing for uh, appropriate cardiac perfusion cerebral perfusion but sometimes you know these nitric oxide derivatives could become harmful 
in the form of peroxynitrite. Right. So it's important to have a, a healthy balance of nitric oxide within the system so that you're not releasing these peroxynitrite substances. And that's usually from more of the meaty uh, sources um, where we're, we're generating some of those um, those those. Uh, agents and um i'm sorry my my thing is about to die here but um you know so uh it's it's important to help and help have and healthy balance and um and having that positive nitrogen balance is very important for overall health vitality and um cardiopulmonary status um in regards to the immune system, I know it affects the uh, ability of certain adhesion molecules for attaching to various substances, and those adhesion molecules are found on various immune cells and play a different role in um, innate uh, humoral immunity. You've been an amazing guest. Uh, I know you've got an early morning rise there to attend to those patients. You're an incredible uh, doctor, uh, educator, and uh, a gentleman. I, I really enjoy, uh, you know, sharing uh, this incredible knowledge base that you have. You know, uh, I was going to pull up some YouTube questions and comments, but in post, uh, I'll make sure that all these questions get answered. And if it's something directed to you, Dr. Anil uh, Bashnath, uh, what is your website again? And I'll make sure that we, you know, we forward these questions because our audience is thirsty to hear the truth about this this coronavirus and the hysteria that's going on and really practical, sensible things that we can do. So give us uh, your contact information, please, and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you, Nick. And I got to say, you know, it's always great chatting with you. You know, I look forward to our next session in person. I think it's going to be in Orlando here in May. But my website is uh, ifho.org. And it's uh, short for the Institute for Human Optimization.org. And I also have my website, anilbajnath.com. And that's just my name, A-N-I-L-B-A-J-N-A-T-H.com. And um, my email address is first initial last name, MD, at gmail.com. So that's A-B-A-J-N-A-T-H, M-D, at gmail.com. Free out anytime. Thank you so much for having me on. And it's been a pleasure speaking to you. If there's anything else you guys need, please let me know. Fantastic. Okay, guys, uh, be well, be strong. Uh, again, Dr. Nick Delgado, uh, living beyond 100 in elegance, strong, healthy, and well. That's my goal. I want to break the all-time world record for healthy aging, uh, shatter the 123-year barrier, and uh, see how far uh, this human frail not frail, but living with power into those uh, advanced stages here. I'm only 58 years away from breaking the world record, and uh, I expect you'll live long enough to see me do that as well. And you too, uh, like most of our other excited, educated, well-documented uh, researchers as doctors as yourself. You're one of the best-read medical doctors. One of the, again, I put you right up there with Jeffrey Bland. I always love talking with you. And you know your background in microscopy. I mean, come on, you know. I mean, that that's cutting-edge stuff, you know. People think of it's archaic and old school, but no, no, this is the real deal. Thank you. Yeah, take care. Thank you, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Share. Good night, Please, everyone, Thank share and uh, get it out to the world. We're here to help and change the world. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. 
please give us a review on iTunes and we'll be happy out of the group of reviews to choose a lucky winner of one of our award-winning products. It could be Estroblock, Adrenal DMG, Stem Cell Strong, or even Power and Speed. We'll ship you a bottle at no cost. You'll enjoy it just from basically giving us a review on iTunes. Also, visit DelgadoProtocol.com. That's DelgadoProtocol.com and take our free hormonal quiz. Looking forward to assisting you to be your absolute best.